So before I get, get into the kind of formal, this is what he's written, blah, blah, blah. He lives down the road from me, about, about half a mile, a mile away. And um, at a very personal level, he's done me a couple of favours, one of which he's probably forgotten, one of which he probably does remember. And one of them is several years ago, we were both on the same platform at a Body, Mind, Spirit Expo. And um, wandering around it, I, had, I was totally dismayed because it felt like the, the kind of last death gasps of the New Age movement. There were people with stalls selling rubbish and there were people claiming they had psychic abilities who were con artists, in my opinion. And it, it was just on that edge of commercialization gone bonkers. And beautiful grounds outside, though. And they, the people who were um, organizers wanted to make film some of the presenters in order for, to, to do a promo video for the next one. So we were out there and um, they were set up for the interview and he and I were together. And they switched the cameras on. There was the microphone in my face and it was, William Bloom, what do you like most about this festival? And I, I just dried up. I lost the plot completely because all that was going through my mind was this rant about this is the death throes of the New Age movement. It's finally, it's been hijacked completely by commercialization and con artists. And Tim just came in after seeing me literally frozen with my mouth open, said, what William means to say is it's a really beautiful environment. And we were, it was out in landscape. And anyway, he, say, he, say, he saved me. He saved me in that moment. I was very grateful and I hold that as a fond memory. We also occasionally meet at stand-up comedy sessions. Um, we s s shares a, a, an enjoyment of stand-up. And recently, professionally, I said to Tim, I am, I'm nervous about losing my broadband connection. What's going to happen if I've got a big class happening? Do you think I could, could I have you as a safety net? And he said, yeah, you can come to mine if your broadband ever fails. Right. and do the class from my place. It's, it's generous, brotherly, fraternal, neighborly, good citizen. So Tim, at that level, honor unto you. Now you are, Tim is, one of our most prolific authors in our field. He's written more books than me. I can't swank about the number of books I've written. He's written more than me, and he's done what, critics would call a smorgasbord of spirituality, what I would call a holistic overview of what's available and how to go deep into them, which I completely honor because I think in terms of modern citizens, um, a holistic education means familiarity with all the different paths, which then allow you to go deeper in, in your own way. So huge honor to him. So in, the, in this conversation, um, I want to explain Law with you, Tim. So big welcome to you. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, so you, this is the point where you can say, "Oh, thank you, William. It's lovely to be with you." And then we'll start. Oh, thank you, William. It's lovely to be with you. Which it, which, which it genuinely is. It's a delight. Excellent. And with all of these other beautiful folks that I can see little pictures of. Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? Zoom is, Zoom is wonderful. So here, yeah. here we are in the space with all these people, and we're, and we're all interested in you, right? Mm. So 
where I want to conduct this conversation is I'd really, both for me personally and for the group in general, hear about your childhood influences that led to your awakening first, and then we'll go into kind of a little bit step by step what, what you were doing because there's a huge array of stuff you got, got interested in. And I'm particularly interested in, as well as writing about it, what did you practice? Mm. What were you experientially doing? Mm. Bringing <clears throat> you up to date with where you're at now and your new project philosophy. I don't know how to pronounce unindividual. How do you pronounce it? Univigil. Univigil. Okay, great. And we'll talk about univigilism. And, um, but let's take, let's take a long journey there. People, I don't have the usual two support people that we normally have. And that's Sohini and Scott for various reasons can't make it. So I'm not sure whether we're going to do Q&A. Um, if we do, it will be towards the end and we'll do it in the chat box. But, if, but if, if Tim is in a real good groove and flow, then we won't go into Q&A because I'll be doing the Q questions to him. So Tim, after all of that, Tell us where you were born, what your parents were like, and what kind of led you up to that awakening when you were 12. I was born just down the road in a little town called Yeovil in the West Country of England. And uh, my parents ran a, what was for Yeovil, a fairly big hairdressing salon, they called it. Um, my father was a, a very creative um, and quite skeptical uh, in his approach to life. Quite difficult guy in his own way, um, but but quite amazing as well. Uh, and my mum, in all honesty, William is the closest I've ever come to a saint. She was just oh. just a bubble of love. I mean, just I mean, people asked me, you know, always you probably get the same thing. You know, who were your big influences? Who was the real? Did you, what was the guru that did it for you? And, the honest, honest truth is, it was my mum. Uh, I didn't realise that when I was little. I realised that when I got older. And I can remember the day I did realise it, when I was probably about 30-something. I just looked at her and just went, oh, it's you. You're the one who's teaching me how to love. And you've been doing it the whole time. And, and, and it, she affected everyone around her, especially mm -hmm. the older she got. So well, was, I, was, I was she, very lucky. Was she conscious of what a good influence she was? I sat her down in her 80s. I should have done it way before. I sat her down in her 80s and I said, Mum, Mum, you know, you're not going to last forever. Tell me now, what is it you're doing? How are you having this effect on people around you? You know, because she's so unselfconscious about it. I mean, she wasn't spiritual, really. She wouldn't read, she read spiritual books by me, but not by anyone else. And then I could have written books on train spotting and she would have read those, you know, it was like, um, and I said to her, you know, what is it that you're doing? And she looked very puzzled. She said, oh, I don't know. And I said, well, think about it. Think about it. What are you doing? And she just said, well, I think it's that when I feel down about things, I just look around for somebody to help and then I feel okay. And I was like, ah, okay. Got it. Thank you. That's what I needed to know. <laughs> it's worth repeating. Um, yeah. Repeat what she said again. She said, I don't know, but I, I think when I feel down about things, I just look around for someone to help and then I feel okay. That was her thing. That's what she did. And she was one of those, when she, she got cancer, um, she died of cancer, but she got cancer earlier on at a time when I, before I was a, a writer, I was a musician. And so I, I wrote her a song. And, and the, the idea behind the song, I think, is, is I, I still love it. 
Um, it was called Famous Amongst Angels. And it was a kind of poetic idea that, that, that in heaven, if you like, um, no one had heard of the pop stars or the famous politicians, or it's like Madonna, no idea who that is, you know. But people like my mum, all these little people, that, everyone knew them. <laughs> it was like in heaven, they were really famous. It was like, oh, yes, my God, you know, Ellen Freak. And I love the idea that, that the people that are famous amongst men, as it were, um, are different to the ones that were famous amongst angels. It was a poetic idea, but what it captured that sense of often the people we least see, you know, not the great teachers and the great writers and the people with a big mouth like me, who are just quietly doing it, are, are, are often the most yeah. special of all. The meek shall inherit the earth. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was very lucky in that respect, um, and I'm sure that had a big influence. Hugely supportive parents. Um, and and the, the route to my awakening really came be, between, I was a very precocious kid in other ways as well, um, but I don't know why, I was just a weird kid, but um, uh, but my mum would take me, my dad was a skeptic, but my mum would take me to church and then she stopped going and I would go on my own. Um, and What kind of church? Anglican. Um, and then I stopped. Uh, but to me, the biggest thing was that ever since I can remember, way, way, way back, life has always seemed profoundly mysterious. And it seemed very strange to me that all the grown-ups were, were walking around as if, as if they kind of knew what was happening, and they clearly didn't. And no one seemed to know what was going on, not my teachers, not my parents or anything. And, and it felt, I can remember walking with my dad, I was about eight or nine, and, and, go, and just asking, you know, what is this? And, and, and him saying, I remember his line so well, he just went, well, Timothy, greater men than you and I have asked these questions and found no answers. And, and I can remember with that huge arrogance of being young, I just remember thinking, well, I will, because it's such a big question, there has to be an answer to it. And in some ways, I think I, that, that what happened to me, there's a hill which overlooks um, uh, Yeovil, called Summerhouse Hill, and I used to walk there with my dog early in the morning often. And I would sit there and, and just look at all these people running around at the, in, the, in the town, wondering what they were up to and trying to, what, what is life? What is death? And, you know, why is it like it is? And, and, uh, and then one day, something happened. And uh, I had no idea what it was at the time. But now I would say it's the, it was my first shift into a deep awake state. Mm -hmm. And the biggest memory that I have, I wrote about it afterwards because that's what I do, I write. And so I have some records. But um, the biggest thing I remember is the love, this, en like, this enormous love, like everything was being held within love. And because my only vocabulary I had was Anglican, really. Um, you know, my dad, despite his skepticism, would often say that God is love. That was his one thing that he had. And I, and it was like, oh, right. Okay. So this is, this is God. This is, this is the love. And it completely blew me away. Um, so, so just, just pause with that for a second, because sure. I think it'd be really useful for people, for me to know when you had that experience, philosophical, felt mm -hmm. you know what did, was it just a knowing that the universe is made of love or did you feel that you yourself were love i as best i mean it's obviously a long time ago yeah 50 years ago 
Um, but as I remember it, and, and with the little clues that I left myself, um, it was the feeling that there, the whole universe was vibrating with love. That's the way I felt. Like it was holding me and everything. It was some, there was a love which permeated everything. The grass was greener, the birds were singing clearer, the sky was bluer. And the thing, I think, I mean, apart from it was an experience I just wanted to have again and again and again. Um, there was also a sense in which it felt like, oh, hang on, afterwards, it felt like the, it was almost like the answer to the question, the que I couldn't say what the, the question, the big question, it was too big to put into words, and that the answer was too big to put into words, that there was an ex existential question, which I tried to capture with, you know, what the, is this? But the answer came with a shift whereby I perceived in a different way. Now, those are words I'm using now. I wouldn't have used those when I was young. Mm. But that's essentially what I think I took from it. And that is, you know, Carl Jung, interestingly, I came across years later saying that for, for some people, life has a seed from which their life grows. And that, un without a doubt, that was the moment. That was the seed from which my life would grow. And everything I did afterwards, even when I was doing music, was all about how do you achieve that shift in myself and how can I share it with others? How did that influence your teenage years? And when, when were you doing music? And what, what kind of music were you doing? Oh, my God, I did all sorts of music. Uh, a bit like as a writer, I just wanted to do, I wanted to be everyone. So, you know, there's times when it was um, edgy, sort of new wave stuff. There was some almost like, you know, I had a big horn section at one time. We were doing almost kind of like Earth, Wind and Fire. Um, I had recording studios. I wrote TV music. I wrote for dance. Modern okay. dance. Oh, so you, you were actually making a living from music? Oh, sometimes. <laughs> we, won a, we won a talent show on the TV. Oh, really? <laughs> what was your band called then? They were called Godo at that time, as in Waiting For. Waiting For, that's, that's very pretentious and intellectual. It's very pretentious, <laughs> and I can remember us at our very first um, uh, gigs uh, in a little club in Bristol being introduced enthusiastically as Godot. <laughs> <laughs> So did you did you do A levels in uni or not? Yeah, I did A levels and then I then I dropped out to play rock and roll music. Okay, um, and went to university later. But also in that time, the, or during the whole time, I'm exploring how can you affect consciousness. Uh huh. Um, how, so how, reading. In what way were you exploring? exploring it? Well, partly philosophically, I guess. Looking back, you know, earliest influence I would say was probably Mohandas Gandhi. Mm -hmm. um, probably through my dad because he'd been in India after the war and talked about him and, and so that had been a, a, a way through. Became very active in the peace movement, very young, very young. <laughs> I was, got myself in a bit of trouble with that because of the effect it was having at the school. Good. Um, Good. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the guy who ran the Peace Pledge Union came down to see who is this 15-year-old that signed up half the school. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to put in brackets here. My school, I was 13, I was wearing Band the Bomb badges and doing all the master marches, and, and the head teacher got so bothered by it that they called in my parents to try and sort it out. Very similar. So I didn't get in trouble. So yeah. things moved on a little by then. And uh -huh. uh, I, didn't get, I didn't get in trouble, but it was exciting. And yeah. he did come down. He was like, no one had joined the police. Ple there was a peace pledge union. Yeah, and no one had joined for about five years, six years, I don't think. And suddenly Yeovil comprehensive school all these kids were joining <laughs> so you were an activist yeah always yeah. A little teenage activist yeah yeah 
What A-levels did you take? Because kind of, that kind of shows us what kind of mind you had as a teenager. Uh, a, a music. Music, okay. And English. All right. And I was meant to be doing sociology, but I dropped out so I could yeah. concentrate on playing music. Okay. Okay. And, yeah. and you said to you then you went, you went to uni later? Much later, but I did quite a bit in between. I mean, it's a few years, but it was very intense. I was moving between things very intensely. Uh -huh. So, so I had a um, uh, there was uh, I had an Indian guru for a while and did a yeah. lot of meditation. Which one? Uh, the Premrat Maraji. Oh, the fat boy. But, yeah. I <laughs> Sorry, had I should say he was, he was known colloquially as the little fat boy, wasn't he? He was, he was, and 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 <laughs> and and if anyone's interested, I mean, one of the biggest events of my the year this year yeah. is that I have this series, "What Is Life," in which I I speak to people, and, um, and so you, you spoke know, to him, and I thought I'll never get to speak to him. That's out. Of, that's oh, you know, he, he will never talk to me. You know, he's he's you know he's still speaking to hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. but but also he's never done interviews. It's not his uh -huh. thing. And uh, he's remote, and he was very remote for me. He was God when mm -hmm. I was little. You know, he was literally God, and I left and all the rest of it. But that's who he was. And yeah, just landed in my lap, William. Oh. Um, uh, somebody came and stayed with us who worked for him, and then and, and the next thing I knew, I was sitting down filming with him. It was quite an experience oh. to be si having been a teenager, yeah. looking up to this picture of him, singing to him as a devotee, and then sitting next door to him talking about philosophy was. Let um, me just pause you there. This is this is really interesting. Because what, 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 what you're are making explicit for us is you have this philosophical bent which requires thought and analysis and inquiry, and yet at the same time you have this devotional. Mm, very strong devotional. And you quite thought. often don't see those two integrating because mm. the philosophical side quite often will sabotage the devotional side, and the devotional side's got no time for the philosophical stuff. So mm. it's really unusual to hear that you were doing both as I a young, as a young always, man. Always loved both. I mean, and, and, and in some ways, you know, I feel a bit embarrassed looking back because I was the sort of person that, I mean, I feel bad for all my girlfriends because all the love songs were about God. You know, my love affair was with God. Well, maybe they were relieved. Maybe they were. <laughs> But I do feel a bit bad, you know, it's, it feels like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a bit misplaced, but, but yes, yeah, a big devotional thing going on, okay. uh, as well as the as philosophical. And you then went to uni? No, no, still no. loads happening, still between there, still, I, I was only a few years, yeah. um, but the relevant things here spiritually are relevant mm -hmm. is um, uh, uh, LSD, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing, and um, psycho, psycho, uh, mushrooms and all of that, and that as, that as a life, as a temporary lifestyle, or as a deliberate exploration. Deliberate exploration. Okay, good. And um, just doing that with 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 Peter Gandhi, who I ended up writing with. You know, yeah. he, Peter and I have been traveling together. Really, I've always had very close people who I travel with. Still do the same people fifty years mm -hmm. later, and we've traveled together and. Yeah, that was that was the same thing, just back to the same place. And and my sense was, oh, there's a million ways to get to this place, and you're suddenly in in that deep awake love and that communion, that oneness. And, um, and then uh, then I read a book by a William Bloom. I seem to remember. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a 
The um, what's the one you did about the um, the 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 very early? What was your? Was it, it might have been your first one actually. I, I don't know because um, I, I started off writing novels. So oh, I, did you? Okay, right. So it wasn't a novel. It was about your experiments with magic. Oh, the Abramelin, Sacred Magician. That's right. So I had got into actually. I read that after that. I'd really got into it, but when I I I, I had a very intense journey into the occult. Okay. Which was absolutely full on. I mean, that was like. I didn't take any drugs at that time, and it was like being tripped out every day, all day, in some other world. It was just I didn't know. Just so, you, so you explored the Western mystery tradition, totally Kabbalah, experientially. Yeah, all of that. So I went from the Indian guru to the Western Kabbalah, okay. um, and everything was less of very intense, you know. So, so yeah, that yeah, was it, and and that got so intense that eventually uh, I pulled out of yeah. it and went into the first period of retreat, got a meditative retreat. That's when I read your book. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, my book, I don't recommend that book to anybody now. It's kind of like a Piscean maniac's way of doing it, but it's out of date. And, right, right, right. It's a long it's, time ago. But, but it's interesting to, to name for people that young men, especially, and some women who dive into the Western mystery tradition, esoterics of the occult, because they're exploring energy work and correspondences, it can become quite manic and the one's own nervous system can get over. And you, you just enter a world, for me it was like, I mean I still, of all the periods in my life, mm. that's where I still have the most experiences. I think, what the hell was that? I mean, I, it started off, I'd been to India with my father actually. Oh really? You went yeah. with your dad? Yeah, he'd always said he'd take me because oh, he, was in, he loved India because he was in India. Yeah. in the war and when he'd been there because he was a curious guy all the all the squaddies he was with they all hated india but he loved it and we'd go oh. off cycling and exploring cycling up mountains and god knows what and he wanted to take me back there and so he took me and we we spent a bit of time in india and oh, i came yeah. back i was 18. okay and i came back from india dressed head to foot with tibetan clothes that i'd bought in nepal <laughs> and uh and from various things that had happened in india that's when i decided i wanted to I wanted to meet a magician and I, I wanted to study directly. I didn't want to read about it. Mm. And uh, in the way that things work, I just sat on my bed in my bedroom at my parents' house, which I was back living in then, um, and meditating. I had a very strong experience and just said, oh, this is what I want. And literally the next morning, 11 o'clock, the phone went. And it was my friend, Peter Gandhi, once again, who was living in Cardiff, going, Tim, Tim, I've just met this guy. <laughs> and... Uh, and that was that, and off we went. And that began a year of unbelievable, crazy, exciting, strange experiences. Yeah, I, I think the, the lesson for us and for people listening is, I, I always think of consciousness, one of my definitions of consciousness in humans is, is expansion is curiosity. And you talked about your dad being curious, but there's a curiosity, mm. and there there are moments. Do you remember Irina Tweedy? This talked about throwing us throwing yourself into the fire, just mm. into the chasm mm. of fire. And there are moments if, where it's you have to you, you risk and you dive into where your curiosity takes you. Absolutely right, and it is a risk. Yeah. But you know, there's a there's something about youth, and, and I certainly had it, where. 
I just felt in, invulnerable, really. I, I felt like I could do anything. And it's, that was, it's was difficult. It's, it's difficult, though, isn't it, to talk about now because there's so much awareness of the mental health issues mm -hmm. and the, the fact that people can mess up their brains and get yeah, to what looks like psychotic experiences. Yep. And, <clears throat> but nevertheless, there's this place for people to be curious and to, to, to go out of their comfort zone. Mm. I think it's very individual. Yeah. I just knew that, like I said, from very early on, it felt like, this is the most amazing adventure. And I just want to get, I want to just find out what it is in the, in, so anyone that would come along and say, try this, like, okay, let's try that and what, see where it what leads. What kind of a character were you then? Because I was extraordinarily earnest and not very <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, I think. Looking, yeah. What kind of person were you? Then? Oh, oh God, I've been spending so long in my sixties looking back on my life with embarrassment. Um, I, I feel, I, I think the probably the biggest thing was naive. Okay. Um, in that, uh, well, I was young, you know, yeah. but yeah, just um, uh, unable to and moving between things. Part of that was. It wasn't assimilating. I was literally like chapters in a book. This, now this, now this, now this. And it wasn't until later that I began to go, right, what, how does all that fit together? Right. So, so let's, 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 because we've only got an hour or so. Yes, we're going let, 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 to... Let's, let's, let's fast forward this a bit. Yes. So, uni, books, right? Books. Now, the thing about your books is they explore so many different traditions. Now, you had a bestseller to begin with. No, 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 the other way around. It's got three phases, my writing, William, okay. I would say. So the first phase was um, uh, really what you're saying. It was going, going through all the different traditions that I'd studied and practiced in, all of them actually, um, over the years. So I was in my 30s now. Um, I'd been a musician. It hadn't quite worked out, been exciting, blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the writing just happened again in this way that, that things can. I literally, a, a friend of mine became an author and said, Tim, you're a writer, really. And, and he was right. I was a writer. That's what I always should have been. Um, why don't you send in something to my agent? And I said, I've got nothing. Well, actually, I had. I, I had this, ver I, was, I wanted to do a version of the Tao Te Ching to music. And because I couldn't find a version of it that really was how I understood it, I'd started writing my own. Okay, just press, on... press the pause button and repeat Tao Te Ching so everybody knows what you're talking about. Okay, so the Tao Te Ching, thank you for stopping me. The Tao Te Ching is a Chinese um, Taoist uh, scripture, I guess you'd call it. Um, so 500 BC, something like that. And it, I've been reading it since I was a teenager and it had a big effect on me. And I wanted to just read it to music. It was what I was interested in doing at that time. And uh, so I sent that and it, in the way that life happens, it just landed on my agents, literally on her desk, literally at the same time as a letter from a publisher saying, we're doing a new series of Chinese classics. Do you know anyone who could do a Dao De Ching? Um, and that was that. And the, the Chinese expert read it and went, this is great. And off I was. And that's, that, that was my door open. And then it was like, okay, I, can, I want to explore Zen. I want to explore Tibetan Buddhism. I want to explore all these different things in a way, in quite an introductory way, like what's the essence of it, but also going, look, at its heart, there are people experiencing the same sort of thing that I experienced when I was 12 and I've been exploring ever since. 
and then talking about it with the language that they have available. And, that, and the way they talk about it is all different, but the essential thing they're experiencing seems the same. So that was, that's what, that was my first phase of writing. And then the second phase was when I focused in on Gnosticism, and I wrote a book called The Jesus Mysteries with Peter Gandhi, who's come up a few times because he was involved in all these other things. He was a classicist by then. And we, we wrote this book on Gnostic Christianity, which was controversial because it was going, the Jesus story is a, is a Gnostic myth, which is an, an, an allegory for the process of coming to Gnosis or spiritual awakening. The Gnosis is also another name for what I've been exploring all my life. And that changed everything because then, you know, that was a big, you know, that was my moment of walking into a bookshop and seeing the front covers just full of my book and going, wow, I can't believe this and getting driven around in big cars in America. All of that, which was very good fun. And then this last phase, which I haven't sold anywhere near as many books, but is by far the most significant, I think, has been going, okay, now I'm getting older. The thing which attracts me about all those, the individuals I've written about, is that they reinvigorated the spirituality they found for their own times. That's why I'm interested in them. I should stop writing about them and I should do what they did, which is to try and make a contribution towards reinventing spirituality for the 21st century. And one of the big things that that needs to do, in my view, is it needs to be able to be able to integrate with our scientific understanding but on its own terms, so that they can really sit together. And that's been my passion now. That's what I do every day. So that, that's a wonderful introduction and foundation to what I was going to ask you and I shall ask you now. So what are you doing now? <laughs> what are you doing I, now and why and how? And I'll tell you, before you go into it, do you have a daily practice? What, 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 are you, what are you doing now in terms of your own personal self-care and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff? So that, so, and then we can explore, tell us about the... Um... I, I, the other day I, I thought, do I meditate anymore or do I just sit and be quiet? I think I might just sit and be quiet. Is there any difference? I'm not sure there is anymore. So um, the, the sitting and be quiet has got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And I can connect with that which is greater than me more readily than I, you know, when I was young, it was like in, out, in, out. It was like big and then, oh God. And then, and now it's not like that. Um, I'm not in this exalted state or anything like that. No, nowhere near. But I'm much, it's, it's close to me. It's not, it's not a million miles away. And when I take the time, the, it's lovely to sink into it. As we, as you did just at the beginning, it's like, ah, oh, poof, there it is. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. and, and then what I, and, and, and so that's that. But also the philosophy to me mm -hmm. is a practice. You know, it's, it's like pushing my ideational network to see if I can perceive the universe in a deeper way. And as I shift ideas, suddenly it opens up a new experience. It's very, I think philosophy is intensely experiential. Because the process of reflection may be a bit abstract because you're, you're, well, in effect, you're talking to yourself, aren't you? I mean, that's what you, when we're thinking. We're imagining talking. So it's in, I'm doing what I'm doing with you, but just, just, there's no you. There's just me. And you're having to play both parts and questioning and doubting and pushing and seeing. 
But when, when insight comes, it's experiential. And suddenly you're in, you're in a new world. And that is incredibly exciting. Okay, so what's the big one that happened in the last decade that is now the foundation of your teaching? I think it was adopting something which always been there, but became very, very much more important, was an, uh, taking an evolutionary perspective. So the big shift, I wrote a book called Soul Story. It's my latest book. It's not, it's been out for a while now. I think it's my most significant. Soul um, Story. Soul Story. Um, and it's a philosophy book in little, uh, like little nuggets of think this, think this, think this. And what I'm doing now is a massive expansion of it, which has taken me, I should have been finished two or three years ago, I thought, but I'm still right in it. And it's, it, I, it, this is what I need to complete. I know that. Okay, can you, can you, not an elevator pitch, but a yeah, in five, essence. A five minute kind the, of, so the, what's the, it about? The underlying, some of the underlying ideas, they may seem a little bit abstract if I say them quickly, but maybe people say, will get We'll them. say them slowly. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it, I'll, which is <laughs> that, so I'm, I'm faced with, my big question is, you know, what is this now? What is it that's happening? Because it, it's pretty full on, what is it? And what I see is a, that, that what's happening is a process. There's a, the flow of experience in which every moment realizes something new that's never happened before based on what's happened in the past. And so the line I'm following is, what if that is the nature of reality? The nature of reality is the realization of potentiality in ever more emergent ways. So this incredible view that we've got now from science that for the last hundred years that the universe isn't a thing, it's a process. And it starts in the simplest way you can imagine. And then it has arisen in ever more emergent ways. Emergent meaning a, a, a big evolutionary shift like the emergence of life from matter, say, or the emergence of psyche, soul, from biology. And that it's taken us through from what looks like in science right now a, an, an informational level that's become, like in quantum physics, where it's, it, it's, it's possibilities that can, which are really only understood mathematically, have no mass, for instance, or anything like that, they're not things, into things and the universe of things into here at least life and then from life this transmaterial dimension that we are in where we're sharing ideas and I, the way i get that very much is like when i'm doing this i'm aware that my mouth is moving that's biology and making funny noises but what we're sharing is meaning but there's no meaning in the biology or in the air or in the funny noises the meaning is all on this new level of psyche, and psyche is Greek for soul, in the soul. So we've gone from mathematics to soul, and that's happened over 14 billion years. So the fundamental thing I'm following is, what if everything that has any form whatsoever is part of this one process? Everything so that the formless potentiality is being informed by information and becoming everything on ever more emergent levels. And the two things which, which it challenges 
One is for science and one is for spirituality. For, so for the challenge for science, as it's commonly understood, is evolution didn't stop at biology. Evolution goes right the way up, and it's not really physics. It's really all of it. And, and you can't reduce it because it's more emergent. It's more than, and you can't reduce it. And therefore, let's take the, the soul or psychic level very, very seriously because it's the most emergent. And then what I'm playing with with spirituality is that all those domains, the spirit world, um, the, the, the bardos, those are not things which exist outside the process of evolution. They're the most emergent level of evolution. There's where, that's where the whole process is going. And then the big jump, and I'll end with this, is for me, which has really helped, has gone, well, when we, when I started this, and I, I said, you know, when I first had that experience, it's like, oh, this is God. And then I went through a period where it felt like I, I can't do that anymore because, because there's some real problems with the idea of traditional idea of God, some big problems. Like, if God is this all-powerful, loving presence at the beginning, there's the classic problems that everyone knows, the existence of evil, for instance. You know, why, the, why is all the bad shit if there's a loving God? And there's lots of clever ideas, none of which work for me. You know, it's like I was reading the other day about a, a, a kid who had his brain eaten from the inside by a microbe. It's like, no, there's no excuse for that. that this, if, if God is running the show, ew, it's not how I experience God. And then, you know, five, five complete extinctions. This God doesn't know what they're doing. It's like, what the hell, dinosaurs? Why? It's absurd. It doesn't work. And also, you know, it doesn't explain anything because you've just explained one mystery by a bigger mystery. It's like the universe is being solved because it's God. Well, what's... So the big shift that happened when you said, what's the big one? Was going, oh, so if this is going from the simplest thing I can imagine to the most full realization, this is not coming from God, it's going to God. God is the most emergent level. This is, the universe is flowering into that greater than me thing that I experience and have been following. That's not where it comes from. That's the highest level of this process. And that's what I'm exploring. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If, if, if we were teenagers, I'd pass you a joint at this <laughs> So, have a, have a toke on this. <laughs> All right, so I've really listened very hard. Okay, so let me, let me ask you a couple of questions. Okay, let, let, let's take the word God out of it. Yep. And let's just acknowledge what mystics have always said, which is, we don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Full stop. And you started off with the very beginning of this conversation by talking about the mystery. It's a mystery. Totally. But That's the foundation of everything. But when people go into altered states on a daily rhythmed basis using all the different strategies for getting there, and they're stable and curious and inquiring, there is a consistent experience that the mystery is benevolent yes. at a cosmic level. Yes. Despite the yes. cruelty and the suffering and the idiocy and the sociopathy of the human yes. species and all the rest of it. Right. So 
what I'm trying to do is, so you've got this emergent dynamic. The cosmos itself is emerging into its new potential, whatever that is. And maybe it's not make just not knowing what it is second by second until it actually happens, right? Mm -hmm. But in my model, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. In my model, and I'm, I'm trying to pack yours in with it, in my model, there is this unconditional benevolence that flows through the universe seeking to integrate everything. Mm -hmm. So it's there as an underlying dynamic seeking to permeate everything you've just described. So that would so, have been so, my so, model. It would so have been. That, that, that was my model too. Yeah. But it's shifted. Yeah. And what I'm saying, what I would say now yeah. is there, that benevolence exists now like life exists now, but it didn't. Um, now it does. Consciousness didn't exist, and then it did. Okay. That didn't exist, and then it did. And that actually these higher things are emerging. And my, my guess, I mean, obviously these are, these are philosophical speculations to try and make sense of my experience. And what that does for me is it goes, that's why it's so benevolent. And yet the things which has led to it is a, such a mixed bag, because it's not running the show. It's arising from the show. And my, the way that it's come to me, the way that I'm exploring is, it, it feels like look, it's somehow all of these individual cells, what started off as individual cells became multicellular organisms by coming together and forming something greater like my body. And my sense is that as we come into a state of recognizing that we are one with the universe, because we are, we are the universe arising as these individuals in relationship with itself. We are the one in relationship to itself. What else could we be? Everyone is. Everything is. That as we recognize that, and that's what you said earlier about the individual, that's what I mean by the individual. The individual conscious of unity with the universe. And I think that's the leading edge of our evolutionary uh, movement here. So, so that awakening that I've been playing with all my life, and I think that is the, the, the next jump. In evolution but as we come into that i think we are the a communion of souls is arising just like the communion of cells okay. and it's that communion of souls you know like the the phrase is that you get the communion of souls around god in christian theology what i'm suggesting is none no, the communion of souls is god that's what's creating this greater than us level of reality which is utterly benevolent and loving and present and, and and permeating everything now so let me um toss in another question sure <clears throat> in the whole food store in glastonbury where many deep and philosophical conversations take place <laughs> I, I once met serena roney dougal mm -hmm. um, serena roney dougal local author uh, wrote a very famous book called Where Science and Magic Meet. And she managed to get um, funded, academically funded, to do some research in some Tibetan monasteries that were way off the beaten track. And the research was specifically to talk with psychic monks and their philosophy. So this is a conversation we're having in the Whole Food Store. And I, I said to her, what, what, what? Wow, I said, what, 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 was the, what was the biggest edge you met with them? And she said it was 
these psychic monks in these Tibetan monasteries said, there is no such thing as time. There is a dimension that transcends time. And then I said, did you ask? She said, yes, I did. I said, you know what I was going to ask her, which was, did you ask them about reincarnation? Which happens through time. And she said, yes, I asked them. So there were these psychic monks talking to me about a timeless dimension. And then I asked them about reincarnation, which takes place in time. And I said, what did they reply? And she just said, they just put their hands up like this and rolled their eyes. <laughs> Don't ask me to articulate that one. <laughs> anyway, so listen. Oh, Professor Guru Tim, <laughs> in everything you've just described, how does the soul's journey fit yeah. in to that? So, so what uh, the the again the kind of controversial, I guess you'd call it, um, thing that I'm exploring yeah. is that the immortality of the soul, which I absolutely think is a reality, has itself evolved like all of the other miracles that have evolved. And that as, the, as we've evolved onto a non-material level or a trans-material level, which we're experiencing right now and always experiencing, um, that will become that, that when, the, when the body, when the, we're, I'm a psychobiological system, when the biological part of the system fails and I can't sense the world anymore, the imaginal system continues. And... I go deeper into that. And that seems to be what's happening with the near-death experiences and the great spiritual traditions of the world that I've wrote around, written a book about, actually, called In the Light of Death years ago, exploring what they were saying. The difference between what I'm now saying and what I would have said then is then I kind of felt like most of the traditions that that just exists. I don't know how, it's just there. And now I'm going, yeah, but what if it's arisen as one process? And that is a very emergent level of the process. So that the, the, the soul has arisen from the body and then the soul has learnt how to be, how not to die. And that that's what's bringing about the, the process of, of um, uh, metempsychosis, of reincarnation. Uh, are you saying then, because most, it's very interesting, I may have misunderstood you. Okay. Because most esoteric traditions would suggest that the soul emerges out of some kind of event, breath, and they come as like little sparks or flames or yeah. whatever it is, and they land into the yeah. creature. So the opposite you, of that is what I'm saying. So you're, you're saying no, the opposite. A, there's a creature somewhere, biologically, historically, out mm -hmm. of which this consciousness arises. Yeah, so in this way, much more like, like the scientific view, which is that the we're... The, the universe is the one, the oneness. See, for me, when they talk about the timeless, I, we should get into that maybe as well, because I think it's, a, it's just a mistaken philosophy. The, the experience of timelessness is absolutely real, but the understanding of it, I think, is mistaken. And it's a common mistake that runs through most spirituality, but most spiritualities, philosophies are very old. And, you know, things have moved on an awful lot. And I think we need to turn it on its head, and we keep all the essence but we lose some of the way it's been previously understood. So that, so that, that, that this is, there's a oneness of being, let's call it, a quality of existing, which is 
being informed and it's forming all these different systems in relationship to itself. So this is the one in relationship to itself on a journey or process of realizing ever greater and more emergent possibilities, more emer happening right now as we speak. We're doing it on the psychic level by thinking new ideas that haven't been thought before. It's happening. It's happening faster and faster. And that in, in, has included everything. So one of the jumps has been where life forms. One of the jumps has been when life becomes sentient and conscious. We need to discuss what that means, but that's what's happened. And then you've got the psyche, which is, which is images of the sensory world. But that's not, that's, that's, you can see that starting in animals, but really taken off for us. And we've created this gigantic realm. I call it the imaginos. It's like the cosmos has given birth to the imaginos, which is full of imaginal information. Where if you go off exploring it, like I did when I studied occultism or took LSD or ayahuasca or any or meditation, it's just huge out there. You know this very well. And what I'm saying, suggesting is that's not pre-existent. That's arisen from the lower levels. And the, 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 the mistake is to think we, sh we can reduce things. We can't. The more emergent levels are greater by definition. That's what they are. And they're more emergent. And that that's w the one process of the one in relationship to itself. Wowie, zowie, kapow. <laughs> <laughs> if, if we were in a room together with all these folk, I'd be going, hands up everybody who followed all that. Right? <laughs> oh. yeah. And then uh, yeah, I can see some people going, oh, I didn't quite follow that, right? Okay. So it's, it's, I'm going to try and... Um, rephrase what you've said as I understand it. Sure. And I'm not sure I agree with you, actually, which is great. I, I didn't expect you would, William. <laughs> I, 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 I love not agreaing. Me too. <laughs> as long as, I mean, as long it's, it's done it's, with love and goodwill. We, we get there by, by exploring. Yeah, absolutely. So it, what's really interesting to me is, is your suggestion that the imaginal world, the world of kind of everyday psychism and metaphysics is actually emerged out of humanity's evolution. Yeah. And I wouldn't disagree with that. And so if, yeah. I, if I was going to be, look at the engineering of it, I would say, okay, everything we think and feel radiates, creates an energy field, creates thoughts, creates emotions, and the whole of our planet is surrounded by thought forms and emotional forms that humanity and, and animals as well and other realms have created over the millennia, right? And that is... What, what do you mean surrounded the world? What does that mean? They float around like clouds. There are okay. thought forms. You know, so... There are clouds of energy to do because when I look at my imaginal experiences, they don't look like they're anywhere. Okay, when I look right now, they don't look like they're in space at all. I'll give you an example then. Um, so for example, human beings are very good at greed, right? So millions of people have expressed greed. So in my occult map, there is an actual cloud of greed that's in the collective psyche of humanity. I can agree with that, yeah. 
And when an individual is tempted by greed, they have to manage not only their own stuff, but the fact that they may connect with this cloud of collective greed and it may channel through them. Right? Yep. 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 So, so there's a whole, and for me that I was using the word imaginal to describe where this collective yep. greed sits. Yeah. Yep. So, and there's also wonderful stuff as well. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful stuff that humanity's created that, that's there. And I, buy, I, I agree with you there. I buy that. But what I'm having wrestling with is the notion that in other vibrational fields that have nothing to do with humanity, that are to do with the Pleiades and Sirius and space and stars and things I really hardly understand. There are definitely realms of beauty and love and imaginal stuff that's not created by humanity, it's there already, mm-hmm. that attract us, that attract us. Um, so my, so my um, uh, question with that yeah. would be, um, is it possible, once again, to see that as also emergent? Now, I'm talking about things emerging here. That doesn't mean the things aren't emerging in other planets and other areas and other things just as much or more. Sure. And the thing that strikes me about the psyche, because it's not in space, is that you know our bodies are quite near. Some people here will be in other countries and all the rest of it. But sci- our psyches are all right up close right now because there's no, it's not spatial. And we're, we're constantly close to those where we love, for instance, and things like that. So it's a, it's a narrative connection it feels to me in the psyche. So, so it's quite possible that we can experience things which hypothetically might be emergent somewhere else. The reason it feels, you know, the reason it's worth, it feels worth trying it out and the why literally I give it every day of my life is because it offers, it is so, it offers such a simple narrative that can become intensely complex and it's and it has an elegance to it because anything you put outside of that process you've left where did it come from what is it what's its nature you're left really with uh, you haven't explained anything whereas if it's possible if it's possible maybe it's not but if it's possible to go well i'm experiencing this flow of emergence what if reality is a flow of emergence and what if everything which has quality, including all of those things that spirituality has been exploring for years since the earliest shamanic times, is the most emergent level okay. so, of so that? Let's, let's try another way of it. I, I think your model, what you've just described, is probably correct because the cosmos is expanding. Well, and, it, 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 what's so what's so interesting? Let me let me finish. Tim. Oh, sorry, beg your pardon. That's, that's all right. So the cosmos is expanding. We know yeah. that, and there's a sense that everything within it, bit by bit by bit, whatever it is, in its own in, in its own way, is emergent and expanding too. Mm. And it's suffused by some benevolence, which is mysterious. 
Okay, so so I, th I think nearly everybody listening to this would go, yeah, okay, I can buy that. Now, what you're describing, this this is the bit this I think is we could hone in on, right? Mm -hmm. Is you're describing a method of exploring it, which by virtue of the fact you've called it philosophy, means that it's intellectual to a degree and has logical thoughts in it which is not everybody's style no nope. so what i'm trying to do right this minute is kind of create an inclusive space mm -hmm. where we can go okay folks we're agreeing on the essence and you and i have got very different styles right but we're agreeing on the essence it's it's expansive, it's emergent, everything is emergent, everything is expanding, but we have different ways of exploring it and articulating it. So the, un the underlying theme for me, so, so just so that you know actually, because you might not know this now, but you know, I, I, th th that's only one side of what I do. Yeah. The other thing I do is I run deep awakening retreats okay. here in Glastonbury, in which most of the time is spent staring in somebody else's eyes. <laughs> and. Uh, we do a bit of philosophy, but we do a lot of meditation and we do a lot of gazing and listening. And, and that's about how can you actually experience this individual state? Because if someone doesn't get the big love, they've got no idea what I'm talking about. If they don't actually feel that I'm overwhelmed by love thing at some point, they've got no idea why I'm saying any of this. Because it's not an abstract map. It's a way of experiencing reality. And it's a way of explaining the experiences which I have had and which I've studied other people having. That's what it is. And it's a way of moving your ideational network around so that you suddenly find it's more accessible to experience the same things in new ways or new things you've never experienced. Mm. But it also requires, like I said, you know, if someone comes to one of my deep awakening retreats, then it will be overwhelmingly a love experience. That's, that's primarily it. And yet these two, for me, they look, they go together. Yeah. And, 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 and if we want, what I, I, I feel that spirituality has an important role to play in the next evilly jump of humanity and society. But I don't think it's up to the job because I hasn't kept up with science. Science has gone through the roof. Whereas spirituality has been repeating the same old ideas over and over again. Right. So, so, so let me try something on you. We know that there are, and I'm, I'm saying we need to come up, we're coming into the last five or 10 minutes of this. Mm. We know that there are different styles and modalities for coming into the reality that you're talking about. <clears throat> and the way you're expressing your style and your teaching and the philosophy and the staring in the eyes and everything, it's actually quite purposeful and intense <laughs> right which may be a hundred which is not maybe which is 100 percent perfect for people for whom that particular style is what is needed and actually i think everybody should have that style in their suitcase in their toolbox and anybody who's listening to this and going, oh, well, 
Tim's a little bit too intense for me. And <laughs> there's too much head stuff going on. I would say you need that in your toolbox because it ensures a certain level of purposefulness and a certain level of purposeful inquiry and you don't end up just sitting on your ass being complacent about it all. You know, so I, I, I think you're absolutely representing something hugely, hugely useful and uh, benevolent. And, and I think there's something, you know, for me, I wrote a book called The Mystery Experience. That was my book just before the last one. And, and, and we haven't talked much about the mystery. We, you mentioned it a bit. It's like the whole of this is rooted on the thing when I was 12 sitting on the hill going, what is this? And that's what I wake up with every morning. And because I think we don't have to choose this or that, we can have both. It feels like, look, find the deepest understanding you can, Tim, because that will open up how to live this as fully as possible, but never lose. Wow. It's just, the mystery is unspeakable. And that doesn't have to stand in opposition to the devotion, sure. to the love, to, to, to connecting with each other. All of these things are part of the human journey. And, and no one has to do all of them, but I'm greedy. Yeah, but I think, the there's, I, th I think there's something else here, which is, um, let's, let's move into the last couple of minutes here, mm. and, and, which is, you know, I ran the um, alternatives program at St. James's for quite a yeah. while. So there were lo loads and loads of teachers. And one thing I noticed was, yeah, there's what they taught and there's the way in which they taught it. Yes. So, so people, a lot of folk actually come to a particular teacher or style of teaching because they need to internalize that characteristic that the person has they need to internalize it and put it into their internal jigsaw mm, right? what a great insight yeah yeah it was it was kind of obvious after a while actually yeah that's um, such a good insight yeah so yeah. i i I'm, I'm selling you now to oh. my people who are listening, right? <laughs> he's not as mad as he seems. No, no, he's, Tim <laughs> is a very important piece of the jigsaw that people need to put in place. And just because it may be new for them, mm. new for you, new, new for me, curiosity mm. leads you to going, mm. okay, Tim's style, I wonder what I would be like. If I put Tim's style into the jigsaw that is me, let's put that part into me, and maybe that will shift some stuff and make it easier for me to expand and grow. Mm. And, um, yeah, and he's 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 done all that stuff for me, and 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 it is kind of intense. But you know, the biggest thing is for me, William, is it's playful. Yeah, it's like you know, this is we're we're on this adventure together. And there's a, there's, a, there's a playfulness. If we can relax into being ourselves. Again, when I run the Deep Awakening retreats, my biggest thing is like, everyone just be yourself. Just relax. Just completely be yourself. And then let's dive in together and you will be astonished. And you will fall in love with each other and you will see such beauty that you can't even begin to put words on it. Yeah. And it will all happen in a couple of days. And you may go home with a few ideas as well. And it, that feels like the heart of it. And then the rest is really supporting it. There's a line, this will kind of round it up for you. There's a line in Soul Story, which is a philosophical book, you know, 
and if people are interested, I should say this because my wife will tell me off if I don't. Um, I, if, if people are interested in talking philosophy and experiencing these things, like if they, they want to experience them. They can. There's a I, the re next retreats at New Year here, but if they want to talk philosophy as well, I, I meet every Sunday online. Uh, it's all on my website, timfreak.com, and we have these little all right, so explorations. Let, 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 me, let me let me pause you there. If you want to follow up with Tim, timfreakoneword.com. .com. And, and freak is spelled F-R-E-K-E. Yeah. You have to get that bit right. Yeah. Tim. And if you want to know about all the books, I actually think Amazon's the best place to go. Amazon's the best place. Also on my website, they're yeah. all there. Yeah. But this is the idea I feel I want to leave it on for me, okay. um, William, which is that, so I wrote this big philosophy book. It's not a big book, actually. A little philosophy book, but deep. Demanding, in a way. And in the middle, I felt like I had to make this confession. And so I can make that confession to you and all of these lovely people who are here today. Which was, look, all this philosophy is really, for me, about developing a strong, intellectually robust understanding to support these incredibly childlike, naive intuitions that arrive for me in the deep awake state. And... and which sounds so naive, it's like they're almost embarrassing, but they're the biggest truths I know. And, and the way I put it in the book was, what arises for me is, despite all the suffering, life is good, death is safe, and what really matters is love. Yeah, and as Susan Cooper has just posted, woohoo, yay, in the <laughs> chat box. So listen, everybody, we're, we're going to bring it to a close now. I'm going to say thank you, and then Tim's going to round it all off with a little meditation, to, a blessing for us. So from all of us to Tim, thank you for a really engaging, wonderful hour. Fantastic. Been, I've thoroughly enjoyed being with you and with everyone. It's been fantastically a interesting, fantastically engaging, and very, very grateful. So, listen, I'll put myself on mute now. And Tim, lead, lead us in a couple of minutes just to help close us down. So, I want to invite everyone to come into our oneness, our communion of oneness. And I'm just going to do that very quickly by first inviting you to take your attention and focus it on your breath. when I do that, suddenly something I wasn't even aware of before becomes very vivid. Beautiful, actually, to breathe. It's like I'm Processing breathing in high definition suddenly by paying it attention.
such a pleasure, actually. And then I want to invite you to take that same attention and instead of focusing it on something in particular, open it right out to take in everything universally with the same vividness. Taking in the oneness of things. that there is a oneness within which you and I are embedded, that we are that oneness. And then finally, in this little short journey, be aware of your body breathing again. But this time, be conscious that you are the one arising as you, in relationship with the one arising as everyone and everything. And just let's spend just a few short moments, seeing how that feels to be intimately connected with everything and everyone. Thank you for coming on that little journey with me. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. I'm going to remove the spotlight from us. And I'm going to have everybody, everybody, if you just want to unmute yourselves and wave and say something like a goodbye to Tim or a thank you to Tim, that would be lovely. Thank you. 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 Thank